This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody, it's Champions League final week, Liverpool versus Tottenham Hotspur from the Wanda Metropolitano in Madrid. I hope I've pronounced that right. Apologies to any Spanish-speaking listeners we have out there. This is Analyzing Anfield, your one-stop shop for all the statistics and tactical analysis ahead of the massive final on Saturday night. I'm your host, Christian Walsh, and as always with me is Josh Williams. We're recording this on Wednesday, Josh. How are the nerves? They're okay at the minute, yeah. Uh, this is it, the winner. Slap yourself in. I've uh, my head's up. My head went. I think about <laughs> two days after the Wolves game. I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, it's weird. I, it's, it's weird it's, going it's, three weeks without the game. It's, it? We'll talk about that break a little bit, but it, yeah, it, it's. Ian Klopp said he'd rather have three weeks than three days. I don't think many supporters uh, would have said the same. To be honest, um, and I'm, I'm in the situation where I can't even. Arsenal Chelsea. If Liverpool win in the Champions League final, I'd be massively looking forward to watching Arsenal Chelsea in the Europa League final. I think this is, you know, there's no real I've got no no dog in this fight. I'll watch it, no problem. But it's just gonna just gonna panic me. Just just watching it and watching how everything unfolds. So uh, it was a little bit like that watching the playoff final as well with Villa. So um, right, let's. Well, basically, this is this is the episode that a lot of people have asked for. A lot of people wanted. We were always going to do it. It's the big preview to Liverpool versus Spurs or Spurs versus Liverpool. Since I suppose Spurs are the home team. Um, okay, first things first, Josh. The dynamic here in terms of it's a Champions League final, but it's ultimately a Premier League game. I mean, how does this play out in general? Do you see? I personally think it will be like a Premier League game, yeah. Uh, I wish it wasn't. I wish it was more European fixture. But just because of the the, the similar styles, um, the tempo, the intensity and the fitness levels and things like that, I think it will very much be like a Premier League game. I think the major differences when you when you play in Europe is just the clear differences in, in styles of play. The different technical levels and fitness levels tempos and intensity like I've just said and, and Spurs and Liverpool are two very similar teams they're obviously recognised opponents as well played each other twice already this season um, and you know I, I wish it wasn't the case I wish we were playing the team that we hadn't faced uh, a team that we could maybe shock with our our speed and, and our, our pace the pace at which we play the game but this probably won't go like this. This will probably be two, two very fit, two very well matched, healthy teams after th- after a three week break, and I think it'll be very similar to a, to a typical top level Premier League game. You say they're well matched, and I, I don't disagree there in terms of you, you look at the, the, the two elevens, and I think Liverpool are better, um, but I certainly don't think it's it's the points difference that the the, the Premier League showed. I mean, is is that a bit of a red heron? The ninety-seven points, you know, compared to what Tottenham Tottenham got, you know, it, you know, you look at you look at the, the the Premier League table and they finished a hell of a long way behind Liverpool in the Premier League season. That's true, but last season we knocked out Man City, yeah, pretty convincingly, and they were about twenty points ahead at the time. Um, I think league form and points tallies to that extent offer an insight into consistency um, maybe how a team is able to cope with all different types of match situations across the course of a campaign mentality depth 
things like that. I think in a one-off fixture, it's 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 a bit of a different dynamic there. I think um, just your your individual level comes into it a bit more. Um, obviously, Spurs knocked out Man City themselves, so I think it's going to be a tighter game than the than the league table suggests. I agree with that. Twenty six points was the gap. If, if anyone's wondering, uh, the the one thing that does catch my eye is, and you know, it became a big a big deal. Two two draws in thirty eight. So that just yeah. shows you Tottenham. That there's no middle ground this season. That they either win or they lose. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to mention then. One one thing the league table does offer is we are obviously a very 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 difficult team to beat. Yes. Spurs, not so much yeah. so. Um. I think Liverpool, uh, I was thinking to myself the other day, we don't often consider it because we're Reds ourselves and we obviously feel weaknesses during the match. That's normal. But from an opposition perspective, if you're an opposition coach, I don't really know how you go into a match against Liverpool with, you know, an actual, an actual credible, concrete plan of how to beat us. Um, I think, say, for example, if you're playing against City, you know that. If they lose the ball, they're going to immediately press you. And if you can bypass that press, you can then counter-attack them quickly. You also know that from set-pieces, they're not the tallest team. Um, things like that. From a Liverpool perspective, there's just there's no overriding weakness there. Apart from maybe Trent is a little suspect defensively. And apart from the fact that our right is a bit weaker than our left defensively. Other than that... We're just a, a very, very difficult team to face. Very physical. Much better aerially than City. Uh, faster than City as well. Um, and we don't press like maniacs as soon as we lose the ball. We, we press in calculated moments. So we're a really difficult team to face, difficult team to beat. Um, you know, For that reason, I, can, I think Spurs will be dreading it double what we're dreading it. Um, Spurs fans... But, you know, I th- still think it'll be a tight match, but I think we've proved over the course of the season we're a lot trickier to beat than, than, than Tottenham are. So, you know, you talk about Premier League versus Champions League and I just got a f- couple of averages up. And to be fair, there's not a lot of difference. I think, you know, I've, I've looked at the 38 Premier League games this season that Poole played in and, and then the, what is it, 6, 8, 10, 12, 12 um, Champions League games that they've played in. Now, obviously, they're... Better teams more frequently um, in the in the Champions League, you know, PSG, Napoli, Barcelona, even, you know, I, I think even a, a team like Porto, for example, uh, Bayern Munich, of course, but a team like Porto, for example, would be comfortably top half in, in the Premier League. You know, they, they, I think they'd be alongside Wolves, um, banging on the door for top six. Um, so, you know, think, bear in that mind, but, you know, just a, just a few things here in terms of Premier League versus Champions League. So uh, the Champions League, Liverpool have better XG, but they also have a worse XGA. Um, they take more shots, but it's very minimal in the Premier League. Um, they average over well over a hundred passes more in the Premier League than the Champions League, but I don't think that's any real surprise. They obviously enjoy more possession in the Premier League. The counter attacks, on average, are pretty much identical. Likewise, crosses. So it just shows you that that side of the game doesn't necessarily change. Forward passes again, there's there's very little in it. One eight eight versus one seven zero. Um, there's more passes into the final third than progressive passes but again it's minimal 
Um, the pressing is absolutely um, the same, pretty much uh, 10.08 versus 10.14. PPDA is, of course, passes per defensive action, which gauges pressing. Um, and the only real difference there, I think, the only one that really stands out for me is 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 is, is how much Liverpool are pressed in the Premier League. Um, there's uh, they they allowed 17 passes pretty much until uh, someone engages in a defensive action against them in the Champions League. That's just under 13, but you know it's only four passes in a sequence. Um, and when you're playing teams like Bayern Munich, Barcelona, PSG, Napoli, I think you know that's a much higher standard than, for example, Cardiff, Fulham. And uh, and Huddersfield, so you know it it, it doesn't really. It, Liverpool have, have pretty much been consistent. I know they lost the, the three away games in the, in the group stages, but I think it's fair to say Liverpool are pretty consistent in the performance in general across the two competitions this season. Hence, why they've been so close to doing the double. Yeah, I don't think there's any don't think there's any real surprise there with them numbers. I think on on the last point of um, PPDA against. I think that just stems from obviously at, at the the bottom half of the Premier League, you're obviously coming up against teams that are much more willing to accept that they're the weak side. Yep. Um and they're gonna show you a lot more respect than teams in the Champions League who've got more about them to an extent and they're more willing to go toe to toe. Because they're more willing to go toe to toe, they're gonna have more of the ball. Not more of the ball overall, I just mean more of the ball than the likes of Huddersfield, Cardiff, Bournemouth, teams like that. Um that then allows Liverpool to be more more counter-focused to an extent, more transition-focused, um, use our speed more, um, force the ball into turnovers more and things like that, make the, ball, uh, the game a little bit scrappy. Whereas in the Premier League, with a bit more control, I think. Um, but with, with this being up against Spurs, remains to be seen which way that'll go. I think Spurs are... Uh, more inclined to go toe-to-toe within reason. Um, I think they really went toe-to-toe. I think we're going to talk about this as well, but they really went toe-to-toe or, or at least tried at Wembley earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just completely went the wrong way wrong way for them. Um, but yeah, those numbers are as expected. I think Liverpool are vaguely similar throughout the course of the campaign in every competition. I just think certain opponents we're able to adapt and play a, a slightly different game against. So you said you mentioned that game of Wembley, and so let, let's have a look at the two games in a little bit more detail. Um, and basically, how much can we read into them? So, you know, a little bit of a re- reminder and also what it means for the game on Saturday night. For me at Wembley, I remember I was covering it for the Echo, um, and I thought it was the game that Liverpool arrived in terms of, you know, did one, I think it was four, the first four games. Um, Against you know not 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 easy teams. I think they had to they had to win at Palace. They had to win at Leicester. Not two places that you don't win easily. Um, but this was the game where you went right. Okay, this Liverpool look like the real deal. Uh, they won two one, but it could have been a lot more. Um, the XG is ludicrous to be honest. It was uh, according to White Scout two point nine seven versus zero point eight four, and that's even accounting for. You know, Firmino obviously scores from a yard, um, but you know even without that, you take that away. It's it, it, it's a bit of a landslide. Um, you know what? What do you remember? You know, you, we, we'll hop to, to sort of the, the conclusion straight away, Josh. You, you, you say that you know Spurs went toe to toe. To me, it looked like Liverpool basically just waited for Spurs to make their mistakes and then pounced. Is that is that how you saw it? Yeah, Spurs were shocking. Spurs were awful on the day. Um, it's, it was the ideal, the perfect Klopp game. Um, 
from a, a stylish, stylistic perspective. I, lo- I watched the, the you know the major chances, the major incidents back before, um, the chances that we, we we managed in the match. And I think we've said on previous episodes that I think Spurs went into the match a little bit scared, a little bit um, cautious, simply because we'd obviously pushed on in the summer. They hadn't they hadn't signed a single player. We'd obviously signed Allison, Navi Keita, Fabinho. Um, so it was a it was a big difference, and I think they were they were they were thinking about playing a slightly better team than what did, did come up against mm-hmm. already. Um, and it it just translated on the pitch. Firmino scored, and Mister Clear got chance one on one inside two minutes. Obviously, the, the the goal was disallowed, but that immediately gives the opposing team a bit of a knock. Um, after ten minutes of the match, we'd already accumulated 0.3 xg. Um, that's the two Bobby chances and a Trent chance as well. I think it was it might have been a free kick. Mm. Spurs didn't register any shot, so any XG until the 29th minute. Um, they were just, they were just um, very naive, very un like, very un Pochettino yeah, like. Yeah, they just they just got overrun. Um, they were trying to pass into the midfield. We 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 the way we press, we tend to almost entice teams to pass into the midfield area, and then once they do, we've obviously got. Um, high, very hungry players, let's say hungry midfield players in the likes of Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, Fabinho. These are players that are really willing to put the foot in. And once Spurs were playing into midfield, to the likes of Eric Dyer, Musa Dembele was really bad on the day as well. Um, and he, he just, as with the slightest bit of pressure, made mistakes. And then mistakes gave the ball to the likes of Naby Keita who played on the day. And then before you know it, we had Firmino, um, Mane and Salah behind the Tottenham midfield running in a goal. And virtually every chance that we had on the day, um, it, it came with the entire Spurs midfield tracking back, desperately running, trying to get behind the ball. But they were, they were caught, they were, they were caught ahead of the play. So it was a really bad performance from a Tottenham perspective. We had we had ten shots on target on that day. Um, that the only, that's only happened one other time for Spurs this season against Leicester. Um, I remember that match. I think Leicester accumulated over three xG. Was that the Spurs somehow? Spurs somehow one three yeah. one, yeah. Um, but Vardy had a ton of chances, mm. and I don't know how Spurs managed to win on that day. But as I said, Spurs don't concede 10 shots on target. They've done so twice all season, once against us, once against Leicester. And that's bearing in mind, I've played Barcelona twice. Mm. Borussia Dortmund, Man City, four times. Mm. Uh, so it was just a, a horrible performance from a Spurs perspective, but perfect from our perspective. Interesting this I found in terms of uh, Liverpool and how they approach the game. So, you know, we've already discussed PPDA, pressing. Um, and, you know, we know the pressing has, has dropped off slightly this season. Um, you know, it, as we've said in, in previous episodes, um, it, it's it's decreased or increased in terms of number, but decreased in terms of output. Um, Jordan Klopp's time here, now Liverpool are sixth, borderline seventh in the league in terms of uh, how much they press. So, uh, 10.08 
um, PPDA uh, on average in the Premier League this season. Uh, the PPDA in this game against Tottenham was 13.44. Uh, and just as an addition, we will move on to the Anfield game as well. The home game was 14.54. Um, and those both account for some of the highest tallies this season. So Liverpool don't press against Tottenham. I mean, number one, what does that tell us? And number two, can you foresee that happening again? Well, I think for the first one, in the, the Wembley fixture, where ours was 13.4, I think Tottenham's was something like six. 6.79. Yeah, Tottenham's was really high. And this is what I mean in terms of they just really played into our hands. Mm. They just played incredibly naively. Trying to really press us. And we just we just played over them. Um, and I, I vaguely remember talking about this a couple of weeks ago. We had a long ball st- statistic, I think, whereby we played a lot of long passes, more than usual. Um, and that was just playing on the fact that Spurs were trying to be assertive towards us, but we were just hitting over them. I had a look at Salah's, um, well, just the, the team's um, average sort of position touch map um, for this game. And Salah's just playing as a uh, as a literal right winger. I mean, I, I can't yeah. I can't describe enough how high he is when he's getting when he's receiving the ball, and that plays into exactly what you're saying. Yeah, um, and I think it it also ties in with the um, <clears throat> the possession. We had 38 percent possession, mm. but ten shots on target, um, almost three xg. So it was just a case of literally, you can have the ball. And we will just watch you almost commit suicide with it. Yep. And then as soon as you do, we'll be straight on you. And that was exactly how it happened. Uh, transition game, basically. Proper transition football it was. And I think, I'd, I'd assume that Pochettino was learned considerably from that. Because the second match wasn't really anything like that. But it was just a, a, a terrible game from a Spurs perspective. Interestingly as well, just before we move on to the Anfield game, 126 forward passes from Liverpool, which is the second lowest all season in the league. Um, the lowest was Arsenal away with 116, which again, just kind of shows you Liverpool were just picking their moments and play the game to perfection. Yeah. So um, go I was going to say then, uh, I think it's worth pointing out as well, we'll probably come on to it a bit more towards the end, but it's worth noting that we opened the scoring despite... Our dominance, and despite the chances that we had, we opened the scoring with a set piece. Mm. Um, I'll just, I'll just put that in. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, um, but that will mentioning. come up. That definitely will come up. Uh, we'll move to Anfield then. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Liverpool two, Spurs one. Um, and on a, on a simple point, I mean, it was a completely different game anyway, but. Is is this? I think this game more than any other game this season is the one where Liverpool's situation in the Premier League told. Maybe, maybe United and Everton as well. Um, actually, that's probably probably United and Everton. But at Anfield, this was the one game where Liverpool looked like the the the, the title race was having an impact on them, um, and it also shaped the way the game went. I thought, you know, how how did you find that the, the game in general? Yeah, no, totally agree. I, I spoke last week. On, I think we've perceived what a good result is this season in the league based on Manchester City. So early in the season, we, we were winning every single match back-to-back because we knew that's the standard because City were doing it across the park. City then had a little wobble. So we then followed with a little wobble because we, we, we assumed that would be okay. We City looked human. Um, 
and then City dive back on it, started winning every other match. So we started having to win every other match. And I think this Spurs game, um, I think the fact that we eventually pushed to to get over the line uh, and to just manage a win somehow, I think we eventually switched to a four-two-three-one towards the end of the end of the match. More like a four-two-four, I think. Yeah, I think we brought Shakiri on too, um, and we just went for it. And I think earlier in the season, when City had their wobble, and when we drew with the likes of Leicester, West Ham, United, Everton. When we drew with those teams, I think if this Spurs game occurred in that kind of area, um, in that time of the season, we would have set up for the draw there mm-hmm. because it's just not a bad result against this team, but we just had to go for it and we found a winner. Um, I think if this, if, if the final was to go that way and if it was as finely poised in and around the 70th minute, I'd be amazed if we switched to a 4 2 3 one and I'd be amazed if we go if we went for it as as heavily as we did. I think that's the difference when you said earlier, would this be a Premier League game or a European game? I think that's the difference. The fact that um so both teams will be so inclined to focus on not losing that you know, around late in the fixture, if you are drawing most te- uh, both teams will will be more inclined to be happy with that, um, almost accepting extra time rather than rather than forcing a winner. Yeah, this could be a hundred and twenty minute game. There's no doubt about that. We talk about the XG. Yes, again, one point north six for Liverpool, one point two for Tottenham, and again that sort of. I, I think that might be a little bit. I mean, you look at the Sissoko chance. I, I know there was a big, big. Arguments about what the XG for Sissoko's chance was, obviously, because some some had it down as 0.02. Um, you know, others said it was sort of, you know, so much higher than what it should have been because obviously Van Dyke was fantastic. But I think that's Sissoko's chance. Liverpool haven't been conceding chances like that this season, but this was a game situation where they had to go for it. They had to win. I'd be very surprised, if, unless Liverpool, of course, are trailing where you find the situation, touch wood, where basically Tottenham are two on one with Virgil van Dijk at any point in the game. Um, again, reluctant to go forward with passes. Um, only 146 passes went forward. Um, and just as some sort of comparison there, um, as I say, 126 at Wembley. But you know, when they went to the Etihad, they, they, they went forward 160 times. Now I know that, again, they were behind in that game um, twice against City, so they had to go for it. But you know, what do you think that's telling us a little bit about you know the forward passes? Does it mean that Klopp's got the measure of, of Tottenham and knows exactly where to hit them and when to hit them? So is that reluctant to go forward? Spurs, Spurs reluctant to go no, forward. No, 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 no. Liverpool, Liverpool in terms of with the ball. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that stems from it'd be interesting to see. I don't know if you've got white scouts up there. No, no, no. But I can do. I was going to say it'd be interesting to see how how well we've done in terms of forward passes against Wolves this season because. In in the Anfield fixtures, Spurs played with a back five, um, certainly for the large majority of the match. And against such a formation, you you do usually get uh, points on the field whereby you you can't progress any further and you have to start moving sideways. Um, and that acts as a little segue as well into one advantage we seem to gain against Spurs with them playing a back five. They, they started the match with a five a five three two. So five at the back, three in midfield, mm. two up front. 
And one of the ways we really exploited that in the early stages and the opening goal came as a result of it was, I don't know if you remember, we we were constantly switching the play from side to side to side to side. Trent passing to Robertson, Robertson passing to Trent. the opening goal comes from that, doesn't it? The, it the does. switch. It does, yeah. It eventually got switched to Robertson. Robertson put a cross in and Firmino headed home. But I think the, the reason behind doing that is if they're playing the back five, fine. But the fact that they're then playing a midfield three in front of it, that midfield three is very sensible then. So you've got a fair amount of space on the flanks up until the point where you hit, you know, Danny Rose and Kieran Trippier or whoever it may be that was playing. Mm. Um, might have been Ben Davies, I'm not sure. So you can really take advantage of those spaces and having two top quality fullbacks like we do, we eventually took advantage of it with Robertson. Um and score from across. So I think it's it's easier said than done playing forwards every other week. I think I'll, but I, I think you've got to be realistic in terms of certain opposing formations will influence that. I can't get onto uh, White Scouts at the moment, but we will we'll try and we'll, we'll put it in there. Myself, Go on, have a, have a little look while I, while I carry on. Um, and we're talking about passing as well. Um, Liverpool passed longer than any other home game this season in this game, and the same goes for the away. So the the, the average pass length is uh, is higher against Tottenham in terms of home and away. Um, so again, is is this is is does this play into that theory of Trippier, Rose, the spacing behind them, find the pockets and get them? Yeah, and it all, I think it also stems from the fact that if Spurs do press us, we are willing to just hit over it mm. rather than you know a bit more pragmatic rather than trying to play through it and being all neat. Um, because of the the quality of the, of the opponents, how intense they are, how mobile they are in terms of pressing and things like that, we are willing to just hit over them. So, and I think the formations as well that Spurs have played. It, it, we've spoke on previous episodes plenty of times. I've talked about how adaptable Pochettino mm. is. We've played them twice this season. At some stage or another, they have played a diamond. Four two three one, five three two. Five four one and four four two. That's all at different maybe half hour periods mm. whereby he's adjusting things, he's adjusting things. And I think particularly up against four two three one and up against the diamond. I think there are two in particular that you can kind of just hit over four spares plays there. Um four or five, depending on the position. Because they've got so many attackers in those two formations. You can just hit over them, and if the ball sticks, you'll then be up against Spurs back four, or Spurs back four, and one defensive midfielder maybe. So you're going to cause problems by doing that. So I think the whole hit and long thing um, just stems on, you know, forcing the ball into areas that Spurs don't want it to be, um, and making it difficult for the opposing team really. If you're Jurgen Klopp and you're Pochettino, Mauricio Pochettino, I mean, how much do you take from these two games? How much do you, do you sort of draw upon? Do you analyse them? I mean, of course they will. They look at the videos. They look at what went well, what went, what didn't go so well. But how how much do, do you think you can draw upon these two games? Or is this just, again, another complete and utter? It is a cup final. I think I think Pochettino is the, is the man that needs to learn from these from these situations rather than rather than Klopp to an extent. Mm. And that's simply because if 
Poch has played all those formations that I've just listed. That perhaps suggests that he doesn't really know what's best. Um, and from a clock perspective, I think Liverpool's performance against Spurs has largely been good. Um, we obviously dominated the first match at Wembley. And the second match, we was causing the major problems up until that opening goal where we were switching the play. We seemed to stop switching the play after scoring that opening goal. If we'd have kept doing that, um, would have caused them problems. And we obviously forced them into a tactical adjustment then formation-wise. I know his switches of play then became a bit redundant, but I think Klopp seems to have the upper hand, I'd say, on Poch. Um, although I absolutely rate the pair of them. Um, but at the same time, this is a one-off, isolated final. So, although you can take certain amounts from it and you can analyse games as thoroughly as you want, this is a complete standalone, one-off, unique match, which is um, it's certainly different to when Spurs will have had to cope with in the past. The Liverpool have obviously done this two seasons in a row now. Um, and the Europa League as well when we went, when we were in the final for that I think we had a little break for that too mm. so we'll be a lot more accustomed to this than Tottenham I think Tottenham will be the team that are a bit out of the, the out of the comfort zone if you like in, in unfamiliar territory One thing that the game at Anfield did tell us was that Harry, Gay, Harry Kane is quite good um, you know he relatively quiet but then that ball um, from the quick free kick was absolutely sumptuous um, let's talk about Harry Kane for a little bit just very very briefly Josh it, it looks like he's going to be fit I'm not putting that in inverted commas it's going to, he's going to be fit um, I suppose better or worse with him because there seems to be this growing thing that the Spurs are actually better without Harry Kane but I think Harry Kane's brilliant no for me Spurs are better with Harry Kane yeah. Yeah, I don't think now a fully fit Harry Kane, hundred percent. Yes, yeah, that's we can true. we can deliberate over whether he's fit or not. We don't know. We can't talk about that. But Spurs with a fit Harry Kane in their side, better. Yeah, I think it's this is a frustrating thing for me because we we are obviously very analytical focused here and we're focused on process and things like that, performance. But ultimately, the game and that the coverage of the game is very results focused. Mm. So. You win a couple of games without your key man. People think you're a better team when, according to like underlying performance and things like that. And if you actually watch the, how the games are won and things, it's it's maybe not the case. And Harry Kane offers far too much, and he's, and he's such a high quality striker that it's just not true to say that the Spurs are a better team without him. They're, they're a different team. I give you that. They're, they're more direct without him. They play on. Lucas Moura's pace more without him and obviously Son's a very direct player mm-hmm. too so if you're playing with Moura and Son up front that's obviously a very different dynamic um, it's like Liverpool playing with Mane and Salah mm-hmm. as a front two rather than Mane and Salah out wide but for me now mm-hmm. then dropping off it's slightly different um, but yeah Harry, Harry Kane's a top player and uh, but at the same time I've spoke a lot about our intensity fitness levels and things how fast we are as a unit, how mobile we are. There's a difference between being fit, being match fit, and being match fit to face Liverpool in a final for 90 minutes. Yeah. Possibly 120, 120 minutes. So, I must admit, I, I, as, as, um, what's the word? 
as relentless as he is in regards to getting fit, I would be amazed if he starts. That's a big, big call to, to start. I, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he's in Potter's ear saying he's fine and things. But as I said, there's a difference between being fit to play and being fit to play this Liverpool team. Um, so it remains to be seen how good his condition is. But I think you'll be able to tell inside half an hour on the pitch whether he's up to it or not. I was speaking to uh, the Anfield Raps, Neil Atkinson, um, about the game in general. Um, had a really good chat with him. And, you know, he said basically if he was Pochettino, he'd go to Harry Kane. I don't care. You're on the bench, but you're coming on 60 minutes, no matter what the match scenario. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's yeah, no, really sense, yeah. sensible because if they're losing, then you bring on Harry Kane. If you're winning, my God, you're bringing on Harry Kane. If you're, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, I think I'd, I'd like him to start because I've got that niggling feeling that he won't be fit properly. Yeah, I think he dictates same. far too much. But again, we're in the business of analysing it. We can't say that for sure. He might be absolutely ready to go. We don't know that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So let's talk about Liverpool then. Liverpool's lineup. Um, I was uh, vague when I sent over the agenda to you. I was hoping that you got it straight away, though. There's one player who's surely going to start in Madrid who didn't start the first two games. Who is it? Well, initially, it stumped me a little bit. And initially, I thought it might have been Matip. Ah. Uh, I was surprised when I looked into it and it was Fabinho. Yeah. Uh, that is a surprise. And I think when Fabinho was... You know, dropped if you like for the for the Anfield match. I think there was a bit of shock around that mm. in terms of like Twitter and things. I think there was a bit of uproar around that one. I can't remember if there was an underlying reason for that, whether he'd missed the previous session or something like that. I think he had had a little bang on his yeah, ankle. Yeah, I think he had a niggle or something. I think because we had a fully fit midfield, mm. I think Klopp just said it. It doesn't make sense to risk him. We, we can put someone who's equally as good into the team. So, but yeah, it'll be. I mean, I I think it'll be as his first European final I think it's reasonable to to say that and I think he's a, he's a very controlling player very con- a very composed player and I think you need that at such a stage um, obviously the biggest game in club football so it'd be good to have a cool head and centre at the park so we talked about Harry Kane there and the fact that uh, you know his fitness and his battles to, to get back there, but we've got a bit of a fitness battle of our own with Roberto Firmino. It sounds to me, you know, reading between the lines, it sounds like he's going to be fit. Uh, Klopp's keeping them guessing slightly, but I don't think there's any danger of him not not being on that pitch um, in Madrid. Um, and Liverpool created four big chances versus Spurs this season. Um, Keita missed one, Salah missed one, but Firmino scored both of his. Now, okay, I'm, I'm going to put a little asterisk next to this. I, Yes, it was a big chance at Wembley. Um, he scored from one yard out. So I don't think anyone's missing that one. Um, interesting. This is this is from Opta, by the way. I, you know, so it, it, the definitions are interesting. I wouldn't have that as a big chance as either. I thought it was a brilliant either against Tottenham and Anfield. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it I was. wouldn't have that as a big chance. No, it was sticky. It was sticky. Um, but but in general, you know what what you know the importance of Firmino. We're talking about the importance of Kane there, but the importance of Firmino and basically Liverpool getting an opportunity to field their best eleven. Is absolutely paramount, isn't it? Yeah, Firmino is crucial. Yeah, so important that Firmino plays. Hopefully, he's going to. Um, but just in terms of the, our overall style of play and the way we attack, the way we defend, Firmino just epitomises it. Um, 
and I think people talk as well online and and, and about about whether Firmino's world class. There's a de- debate as to whether Firmino's world class. For me, he's world class for what we want. So if you put him as the striker for Chelsea, if you put him as the striker for possibly even City, probably he's not world class because it's it's he doesn't he doesn't fulfil your typical role. I think under Klopp, he's he's the world class option for Klopp in this system because of how good he is with the, without the ball defensively, um, superb cutting off passing lanes and things like that, backtracking and, and tackling from behind his man, um, and then with the ball, he provides a dynamic whereby it's he drags him going backwards and Salah and Mane going forwards. It, it drags the opposing defence forwards and backwards all over the place. So if you're in the back four, for example, and you've got Firmino dropping off, and at the same time you've got one of Mane and Salah running behind you, that's a, that's a difficult dynamic to deal with. And I, and I think when we, we haven't really got a replacement for Firmino who can do that, why not try to do it at the new camp? It just didn't work. Um, and most other times the way we've dealt with that is by putting Mane as the striker and putting the Rigi out left. But again, you lose that dynamic then because you've got no player there who's naturally inclined to drop off. So Firmino's really important to the way we attack. World class for what Klopp wants in his, in his um, number nine. And he's he's superb without the ball as well. And, and in that fixture at Wembley, um, I don't think the, the final go went like it. But in that fixture at Wembley, he was, he was just everywhere. Yeah, orchestrated and everything. When we when we play that transition game, where we win the win the ball and quickly um, quickly move from A to B in in as few passes as possible, Firmino's always crucial to that. He's superb at like laying the ball off with with his first touch, not taking more touches than he needs. Um, even laying the ball off with a tackle, just tackling the ball, um, intercepting the ball, but in a way that lays it off for the teammates. Little things like that. Um, so he's crucial to the way that we play. We haven't really got a backup for him, and it's it bodes very well for us that he's hopefully going to be fit. The other thing about moving Mane inside, it's not against the Rigi on the left, but um, I just think Mane getting in behind Kieran Trippier could be absolutely crucial to to Liverpool's chances. It feels like that is a mismatch at the moment. Yeah, well, that that stems into our next title really our yep. next um, topic where will the game be won and lost <laughs> um, so had a little look at the, 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 the two previous games and I think it's fair to suggest that balls from out wide were a very very crucial part of Liverpool's game plan um, as we've spoken before you just mentioned that Josh those crossfield passes Trenton and Robertson so you look at the the, the the four goals. You've obviously got uh, the, the the goal from uh, for Firmino at Wembley stems from Mane getting in behind um, and cutting the ball back. Uh, a little bit of a palaver on the line, but you know Firmino taps in. Um, you've also got Firmino's header, which obviously comes from a great ball out wide. And even you know as as much of it was down to pure luck's chance circumstance, the um, the, the Vertonghen own goal was it Vertonghen or Aldo or old? It was Alderweireld. Um It still came from a ball, sort of from out wide. You know, Trent sort of was it Trent who put it in? Um, I'm not sure. To Salah, I think, and then Salah nods it back and it goes in. The ball was in from the wide area, and even the even the goal for Wijnaldum came from a you know a ball from out wide, albeit from a set piece. Um, so 
that's got to be big for Liverpool, isn't it? And it really does feel like Salah getting behind Rose and Mane getting behind uh, Trippier, if that's how indeed they line up, it could be absolutely vital. Yeah, well, I think it stems from uh, how physically strong and disciplined both teams are in central areas. I think Liverpool, obviously, you've got you've got midfielders there that are primarily focused on work rate and graft and things like that. And from a space perspective, you've got fairly limited players too. You've got Eric Dyer, Wan Yame, um, Sissoko. Sissoko. Albeit he's been very good lately, but yeah, uh, Ari Winks as well. These mm. these players, uh, mind you, Ari Winks as well doesn't suppose doesn't fit that mould, but mm. um, both teams are kind of prefer to, to attack out wide with the exception of maybe Ericsson who's a, a bit of a creator all around and Deli Ali who runs on late but they both play in slightly more attacking areas so I think it makes sense to f- from both perspectives to attack using the wide areas I think the positive there is that we've got the better fullbacks for me and I think the weakest player on the entire pitch is going to be Keaton Sipia Um and he's obviously going to be up against, for the most part, Sadio Mane. And if not, Andy Robertson. Both of them, in my opinion, should have the better of him. And I can see him being a real weak link. Um, and just just in response to the actual, you know, the question of this of this thing, which, which is where, where will the game be won or lost? One thing I think is, is really important to say in finals... I don't think there's a stage in football whereby just the individual level and the individual quality of your players um, becomes more prominent. I think <coughs> I think throughout the course of a season, various influence and factors get involved, like atmospheres and stadiums and form, um, little things like that. I think for this to be a one-off isolated match three weeks from the last match in a neutral stadium at such a high-pressure moment, high-pressure stage. I think a lot of it just... just the, the emphasis just gets placed on the players to an extent. Hence why Real Madrid have won the last three. Mm. Because they've just got absolute winners in their team. You know, a spine of Ramos, Casemiro, Cruz, Modric... Um, and Benzema's Ronaldo. won it all yeah, yeah, Ronaldo, yeah. Benzema all of them Marcello they're, yeah they're just absolute winners they know how to win and once you get to that final I think the players um, assume the spotlight more so than in previous rounds mm. and say for example over two legs strategy comes into it a lot more game state comes into it a lot more even little um, things like the, the fact that Tottenham played Man City in the new stadium yeah, and you know, so that 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 just gives that extra. I know we can't quantify it, and we're all about quantifying things, but that is an intangible. I know, but it's something that does have an effect. I really believe that something like that can have an effect on a team. Yeah, definitely. And even when he went through against City, I think they went through with a draw, didn't they? I think it was four all was it or something crazy like that. I don't think they actually went through. No, it was on away goals. Spurs on, on away goals. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, and obviously there was the VAR yeah. side show. So I think in a, in a one-off isolated final like this. You just reliance on your players to just find a way to win almost just to manage the game based on their individual levels. And I think you see levels up on stages like this. And Trippier for me is Trippier's um 
a low level. Just like, really, really cool. What's, that, what's happened to Trippier? Was he always? I know. Did he overperform? And now he's sort of underperforming, and somewhere he meets somewhere in the middle, or is he just? Is, I'm not too has sure. Player just gone off a cliff like I, that. I'm not too sure. He's just a very weak link. He's he looks, he looks physically weak. He's not very good aerially. He's not good defensively. He's not mobile. Um, the only benefit there really is he's got a very good delivery on him. Mm. Good at set pieces. He's useful in that regard. But Champions League final up against top quality opponents. I think I, th- I think in the semi final second leg against Ajax, I don't know if you saw it. The lit score from a set piece mm. from a corner. Trippier was marking him. Yeah. And the lit just shoved him. Trippier just literally stood there. Didn't even. It, it was like he'd just been shocked. Mm. The fact that he'd just been shoved a little bit. He just stood there. The lit scored. And he, he started complaining to the referee. But you, you can't do that. Um, especially at such a high pressure stage you you are responsible for everything that's how you have to perceive it and I think Trippi is a bit a bit lax and a bit reliant on those around him to help him out so we uh, so we, we pretty much identified Caden Trippier as the reason Tottenham will lose so we expect <laughs> them to ping one in from a, from a dead ball from a 30 yards out now Messi style no um, so just a couple of other little things you know in terms of the Premier League this is the two most um, the two sides who scored the most header goals 19 versus 14 uh, Liverpool 19 Tottenham 14 um, Spurs create fewer big chances and convert them less which I think could be a big situation for Liverpool because basically if you limit Spurs even if you limit them to a few clear cut opportunities they're not guaranteed to score them although you know Harry Kane might might think otherwise well just a word on that I had a little look at the conversion rate of Spurs before mm-hmm. um, in the Premier League albeit but you know it still applies and the player with the highest conversion rate in Tottenham's team Harry Kane Harry Kane there 21% of course it is second so, is Lucas Moura and then you know, you go down the list there, but Harry Kane is is the most clinical, let's say. He's still not Divacarie on 37.5, though, is he? <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. I don't think he's Sadio Mane. I think Mane's on a little bit higher than that, too. The um, Andrew Beasley, uh, based in Red, of course, on Twitter, friend of the show, uh, friend of the Echo as well, of course. He's put up a, uh, some nice little stats in terms of the Champions League as well. Um, Clear cut chances four for Tottenham, uh, 25, uh, Liverpool 39. Um, Clear cut cut chances against uh, Tottenham 17 Liverpool 18 but you know there's a difference there of 20, 21 in terms of Liverpool and only 8 for Tottenham so you know there's something to for Liverpool to look at as well um, you talk about luck and circumstance you know Liverpool have hit the woodwork 19 times Spurs only 13 uh, that's again in the Premier League um, and okay we'll move to set pieces you mentioned it before Liverpool have scored from 21 21 goals in the Premier League from set pieces compared to Spurs' 14. This is a big advantage if you can get it right. This is a huge strategic edge that we have definitely, definitely imposed this season behind the scenes. Um, you know, one of the things that Klopp was quick to move on when he first came in, I think, was to, you know, to impose curtains around Anfield mm. um, because it was so easy to, for supporters or whoever it may be 
a Bielsa style spy, maybe. Pa- 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 purple wheel. All, all those kids on purple wheelie bins, it turns out they were, they were actually working for the other teams. Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> but if he's, if he's covering the ground with curtains, that's because of the little strategic edges that mm. we're looking to work on behind the scenes. And set pieces. As, as you say, we've scored 21 this season from set, set pieces. That's considerably above average. And the little things that we do in regard to set pieces, things like Van Dijk standing on his man, uh, standing on the goalkeeper, just to provide a huge obstacle to, to have to move around in such a clogged area, can make a huge difference. Um, you'll also notice that a lot of our corners very frustratingly seem to hit the first man um, when they're delivered. These obviously look like very poorly taken corners, but th- there's a reason that we're aiming for the first man. There's a re- Not the first man, sorry. There's a reason that we're aiming for the near post. It's because from a marking perspective, if you're a defender, um, it's incredibly difficult to keep, the, keep an eye on the ball and your man. Mm. And if you're able to get a near post flick on, all kinds of little strategic things, such as like you know your blind side and things like that. Yeah, it's the that second phase, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It it really plays a part in it, and we've been we've been quality from the, from those areas, uh, from those um, set piece things th- this season. Um, and I think if you're a betting man, I would I would advise. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'll even do it myself. I I, I would advise putting Liverpool to score from a corner or Van Dijk to score first mm. goal maybe something like that um, just because of you. usually when you're working on these kind of things behind the scenes you've got almost like a it's almost like a playbook you know almost like a NFL, American football yeah. type, type thing um, and the thing is as well obviously if, you, if you've got that playbook the amount of analysis that's available to clubs you don't want to use those plays until you really really need them this is a Champions League final I think we were Pull. I think we're going to pull maybe one or two little unseen moves out the bag for this final. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if, looking at the Trippier the lit thing in the last round, it wouldn't surprise me if we if we scored from one mm. and we got at least one goal from one. Um, hopefully we do. And I think it'll be, you know, hats off to our analytics, our analytics department and how, how intent we are on you know, those little marginal gains that we seem to be picking up on this season. This sort of contrasts what, uh, what we spoke about just very quickly, the stuff that Andrew Beasley picked out in terms of uh, clear-cut chances conceded. But uh, in the Premier League, you know, Newcastle Wolves, Leicester and Everton have faced fewer shots on target than Tottenham this season. So they will give up chances. Um, they haven't given up necessarily clear-cut chances in the Champions League, which is impressive considering... Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Ajax, you know, teams who, who have a high quality chance uh, creation rate. But, you know, as we said before, this is almost a Premier League game and, and, and they've conceded shots on target more than teams who are very much mid-table. Um, so that, that that's an interesting one for Liverpool as well. If they can create those opportunities, they, you know, they've got a real opportunity there. Yeah, I think it stems from how, how much risk... Spurs incorporate as well, especially this season. You know, with them with them not settling for draws, going for wins. I think they're just a lot more risky than they ever have been. Whether they will be in this final, in a one-off final, like you, you know, you, you can't really lose. You obviously, you need to keep to keep it tight to an extent. I'd be surprised if they give away as much as they have been doing regularly in the Premier League. If they do, though, 
you know, we mentioned about conversion rates there. I've just had a little look at Mane's conversion rate. Mane's on 25 points. Very high. Yeah, 25.7. Yeah. That's considerably above average. It'll probably go down next season. but yeah, Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Mane's obviously very good with his head as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, it, if if we if they're going to give us as many, not as many shots on target as we like, but if, if they're going to give us more shots on target than they are, then than they have themselves, that that stems trouble from their perspective. Now, so what's Liverpool's biggest fear? We're talking about Liv- we're talking about Tottenham's weaknesses here a little bit, but you know they are a very very good team. What what we and you know I know we've said before there about how if you're an opposition manager, you don't really know how you get at this Liverpool side. But what is Liverpool's biggest fear? Is it and again another intangible? Is it another? Is it another Salah situation? Is it is it a red card? Is it because Liverpool are are the best team um, in Tottenham. I firmly believe that. But Tottenham are a very good team as well. So where does it go wrong for Liverpool? Um, I found this one difficult to answer mm. because there's not a great deal to be fearful of. It's weird, isn't it? Because there yeah. isn't... Like, you look because at it completely and honestly, maybe this is where the, your support them sort of does cloud analytics a little bit because you're looking at it and you're going, Liverpool are better at this, they're better than that, they're better at that. They were better here, they were better there. But, but something you can't shake. Yeah, but at the same time, it's worth noting that despite Liverpool being better at this and that and this and that, Spurs are still very, 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 very good. Yes. The, Just that Liverpool are maybe one very better. Yeah, you know? I think that the, the two very similar teams in a lot of ways. They've also got the differences, but they're very similar teams. It's just a case of Liverpool having that presently, having that slightly higher ceiling. Um, I think there's, there's certain things that you've obviously got to be wary of, like, say, for example, Harry Kane and stuff like that. VAR would be something that mm. would be a fear for me. Um, and obviously you've got to, you've got to incorporate the the prospect of luck you don't know how certain things can influence certain situations obviously in football you can analyse as much as you want and this is why analytics hasn't developed as much of a foothold in football as it has in certain other sports that are largely focused on set plays I think in football the reason for that is because so much of it stems from and is derived from chance it's it's very it's unpredictable sport, so if a team does it, get a penalty or a red card or, or, or something like that, that would hugely influence this final. Um, I just hope that VAR doesn't give a stupid penalty for half a handball mm. kind of thing, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. Um, both teams are obviously very aggressive and play on the edge kind of thing. So, But big, biggest fear, am I worried about Tottenham? Yes. But there's nothing, there's nothing over overriding there that that I'm fearful of happening. Um, like from a space perspective, I would be scared of Trippier. I would be scared of Liverpool's proficiency and unpredictability from set pieces. I would be scared of Liverpool have been here before. Um, this is their second European Cup final in two years. Uh, things like this, Spurs, uh, f- from the other way around, there's, there's not a great deal there. One worry I will say is that Spurs have obviously now had three weeks off, three weeks to recover. 
that it seemed that's very reliant on their intensity and speed, physicality and things like that. So if they've had three weeks to prepare, they're obviously going to be 100% in terms of fitness levels when they are. They're a really difficult team to compete with in that side of the game. Pochettino as well has had three weeks to, to formulate a plan. Yeah, that's, we're, that's we're, 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 yeah, no, Poch. Yeah, you know, that, that, that is, he reminds me a little bit of a um, different manager, different managerial style, but he, he does remind me of Rafa from his halcyon days at Liverpool where he extracted the absolute most potential out of it. And I know Jürgen Klopp does that as well, but... I think he's a he's a more proactive Rafa, isn't he? Mm. In terms of playing style. He's a more... Rafa will obviously impose the horriblest style of football mm. if he has to. I think Poch will always have a bit of um, pride about his mm. game to do that. But I see, I know exactly what you mean in terms of little adjustments. Um, it's, that, sh- that should have been a fear that I mentioned, actually, Pochettino, yeah. and how, how capable he is of coming up with solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said earlier, Liverpool, I don't think there's a trickier team, certainly in the Premier League, who... To come up with a plan to beat, mm. I think it's, it's so it's, the team's so difficult to beat because we're such a unit, mobile, fast. You you got Everton there, so really difficult, difficult threat to, to beat. And that's very much shown by the fact that they've lost one league game in thirty eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so and that, even that it was a two one defeat. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, fine margins, as we know. Sadly, yeah, you know, you know millimeters. Yeah. Thanks very much for that, Josh. I know you don't do predictions, but. Go on. Where's your head? <laughs> I, I don't think you can not say Liverpool aren't going to lift the cup after what you've just been talking about. But I know there's no, always th- a little uneasy feeling. No, I think it's important to say uh, I do think Liverpool will win. Mm. But this is important to say. I think a lot of people are overlooking Spurs and we shouldn't. This will be a very, very hard game. Very tight. I'd be amazed if at the final whistle there's more than a goal in it. Um, as I said, they've got three weeks to prepare for this. A Tottenham team that I've got three weeks to prepare physically and tactically is a threat to any team. So this is going to be a tighter game than I think many are expecting. Having said that, I just can't see Liverpool losing. Just you know, the whole mentality monsters aspect of it. I, ca- I cannot see Liverpool accepting defeat. Um, and I think given the season, given how well we've played this season, I think we feel a sense of we almost deserve it. Whereas Spurs, I think they almost feel lucky to even be there. Mm. Some of the things they were saying after the Ajax win, Pochettino thanking his family and things like mm. that, I understand it, emotional moment. But you haven't won it yet, you're in the final. Another game to go. Um, I, fe- I felt like they were... I, fe- I feel like they, they will maybe be a bit, be a bit overawed. Mm. I'm almost just happy to be there to an extent where I do I cannot see Liverpool accepting defeat here. I think it's going past ninety. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, and then I'm not going to make predictions after that because that's where you become the. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm, I, I, I border from excitement to absolute nerve shredding dread um, <laughs> and would, would, would we have it would we have it any other way thank you very much for joining us Josh um, if you're heading out to Madrid um, enjoy yourself stay safe it's 33 degrees so pack your sun cream whatever you do um, 
if you're not and if you're watching it in your house or in Liverpool City Centre or in your local wherever you are across the world enjoy it these are the, these are absolute great times to be alive Liverpool are in the second European Cup final in two years not many teams can, uh, can, can, can lay claim to something like that so We'll be back next week, um, providing me win. If not, I think I'll uh, I'll probably be walking back from Madrid, um, taking a big long walk and a long think. Oh, we, we we will we will be back next week, regardless of the results. And let's just hope that uh, we, we we are bringing you analysing Anfield as the sixth time European Cup winners. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Come on, Liverpool. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.